Welcome to Podcast 75, Safe Dividend Investing. In Podcast 75, in addition to answering the usual five questions I've received from investors in the last week, I continue reading from Chapter 5 of my first investment book, Income and Wealth from Self-Directed Investing. This chapter's title is Stocks and Other Investments. Today, we will review real estate, hedge funds, and collectibles. The first of today's five questions received from investors is, is the chief executive officer of a public company the first one to see the financial figures before they are released to the public? For any large company, public or not, it takes a few days after the month end to get together all the expenses and revenue figures for the previous month. The senior vice president of finance and his immediate staff will be first to see the compilation. He will probably make comments on the figures and forward it to the chief executive officer, who, in turn, may add comments before circulating it to selected department heads. The subsidiaries and branch operations will get a summary of the total and the details for their particular responsibilities. Everyone receiving the financial information will have monthly objectives. They will see whether they are ahead or behind for the month and for the year to date. They will also see the previous year's figures to see if they are ahead or behind last year's figures. If they are behind, they need to find out why before responding to their superiors with excuses and suggested adjustments to staffing, promotions, expenses, incentives, and so on to get back on target. Executives will have their results compared with each other. They are in a competition to be the best. No one wants to be at the bottom. Miss the objectives too often and you will be replaced by someone they think will do better. Every company always wants to appear to its current and potential investors to not only be growing in sales and profits, but doing it better than their competitors. The VP of Finance will perform all sorts of accounting tricks to make the figures appear better than they are before the public sees them. This is to encourage optimistic speculators to pay more for their shares. Many public companies have stock option bonuses which ritually reward their executives only if the shares are higher than the option amount. After everyone has reviewed their figures and commented to their superiors where appropriate, it is then released to the public. However, public companies are only legally required to report quarterly results and this must be done by a certain date. There's always a year-end financial report which can be released months after the year-end. It is a major company document that is always carefully presented to give the very best impression of the company. The chief executive officer is certainly going to see any reports released to the public long before the public sees them. He or she is the one who must be prepared to answer questions about the results from the media and company directors. Hypothetically, but very unlikely, the chief executive officer who reports the shareholders of the company could be removed if they were not satisfied with the results. 
be an executive in any large corporation is not all fun and games. One of the readers of my books wrote, Why does the dividend yield not have greater weight in the IDM stock scoring system's total score? For example, doubling the dividend yield from 4% to 8% only increases the dividend's total score by 4 points. My reply was, In your testing of the score, you would have found if you had increased the dividend yield to 10.5%, that you would have seen the score for dividend yield drop down to a token 2. If you go to the charts in any of my investment books, where all the stocks are sorted by dividend yield, you will see that the stocks paying the highest dividends are often the financially weakest. On further investigation, you may find that their high dividend was a one-time wonder, it was used as a means of transferring money out of the company to shareholders before insolvency. Usually, their operating margins or book values of such companies are close to zero or even a negative figure. Be especially wary of companies borrowing money to pay dividends to prop up their share prices. A very high dividend yield should immediately make you suspicious. A high dividend of 6% to 9% is reasonable. This is why in the IDM scoring system, there are 10 other items besides dividend yield being scored to arrive at the total comprehensive score for the stock. All my investment books show a chart matrix with the dividend payout ranges and the scores for each range. For example, No dividend paid equals a score of zero. A dividend of 2.5% to 4.5% equals a score of six. A dividend of 7.5% to 10.5% equals a score of 10, and so on. You are not speculating. That is buying a stock at a low price and selling at a higher price. You are buying stocks because of their long histories of rising share prices and rising dividend payments, often rising even during market crashes. You will find that the dividend payouts rise faster than the share prices. I have stocks that I bought at $40, paying a 5% dividend, who are now at $120 a share and still paying a 5% dividend. However, now I am receiving an income of $24 instead of $2 when it was at $40. While their share price has gone up three times, the dividend payout has gone up 12 times. Increasing dividend payouts keep you well ahead of inflation. Time is your friend with such stocks. You want stocks in your portfolio that will be giving you an ever-rising dividend income for 20 or more years. Question number three. In your old age, does the liquidity of stocks and the consistency of dividend payouts put stocks ahead of real estate investing? I am closer to 90 than I am to 60. 100% of my portfolio is invested 
and 20 financially strong companies paying high dividends. These are companies with a long history of ever-rising share prices and ever-rising dividend payouts. Interestingly, the dividend payouts rise much faster than the share prices. This portfolio came about because a financial advisor, before I retired, advised that I put all my money into safe mutual funds. Each year, I would then sell off 4% of my portfolio to finance my retirement. He assured me that my savings would last until I was 90. The mutual funds in four years lost $300,000. Unless I died soon, my future looked very bleak. I then set out to find a safe, easy way to invest that would keep my portfolio growing until I kicked off. Since my background was designing commercial risk scoring systems, I concluded that a stock was just another form of commercial risk. I designed stock scoring software that would allow me to identify the financially strongest stocks. It was then just a matter of finding the best high dividend paying stocks, scoring them and selecting the best 20 by strength. I learned during the 2020 and the 2008 market crashes that I could relax, do nothing, and live off my very generous dividends, just as I had been doing all the time anyway. The portfolio usually shows about a 13% capital gain most years, in addition to the 6% dividend income it normally pays me. In the last 18 years, that portfolio has increased by about 500% with ever-increasing dividend payouts. While the share prices may drop temporarily during the market crash, they recover and rise to new record highs. It is easy to manage. I can go for a year or more without making a change to the portfolio. This way of investing only works if you are a self-directed investor because involving a financial advisor would eat up too much of your dividend income. I also own real estate, and my real estate has risen faster than my stocks. However, if I did not own this comfortable property and had to rent it, I would be paying around $10,000 a month or $120,000 a year. My total expenses to own this fully paid paid for a property, which would mainly be taxes, would probably be around $12,000 a year. You have to live somewhere. I own equally both the property and the portfolio of 20 stocks. For security, you want to be diversified. As well, to get my equity out of the property in an emergency would incur significant expense and be time-consuming. I would have to sell a portion of it which immediately decreases the value of the asset. However, to access emergency money from stocks can be done almost instantly and cost no more than $9.95. I do not invest in bonds or preferred shares because there is almost zero chance for capital gain and the bonds can be expensive to both buy and to sell. Capital gain is necessary to increase the dividend payouts that keep me ahead of inflation. In the years of research that I have done for my investment books, 
I've never been able to find a safer, more cost-effective, better way to invest. Question number four. Another one of my readers wrote, The average volume of stock trades seems to shrink in the summer. Should your IDM stock scoring software adjust seasonally as to how it scores stocks trade volumes? In the total IDM score for a stock, there are 11 different items being measured to arrive at the stock's total score. I suppose if I were a statistician or a scientist trying to achieve perfection, I could be adjusting the criteria for all 11 items daily, but that would be a great deal of work, cause stress and slow down the scoring. Investors would stop using it to aid in their stock selections. The fluctuations of trading volumes do not seem to have interfered in the effectiveness of the final scores for the many years I've been scoring stocks. At this point, I have scored thousands of stocks. One thing I have noticed is the scores on most financially strong stocks remain quite constant over many years. I intend to continue to use the average volume that is displayed in the bank database that I use. Most investors are probably using another data source. Their volume averages are unlikely to be the same as mine. The important thing is to always use the same source to achieve consistency. Investors are using the scoring system to make a choice as to which stock of many stocks to add to their portfolio. You are not using the scoring system to determine exactly what the score should be. If the score of your data and comparing stocks is the same, then you are getting a useful comparison. Question number five. Can brokers tell you when a stock is going to go up or down? This reminds me of an infamous scam where a broker was trying to prove his ability to predict future share prices. He would email to 10 different groups. Each group would get a different prediction for the same stock. It was not difficult for him to hit it right with at least one of the 10 groups. That group would be convinced he was a genius and would then entrust him with their portfolios to manage. The problem with predicting future stock prices is that pessimistic investors who think a stock is going much lower decrease their share price, sell bids in order to find an optimistic speculator who believes the share is going to go up. With thousands of such guesses taking place, it is impossible to accurately predict at any given time whether optimists or pessimists are winning. You can't buy a stock until a pessimist sells it. No one is setting the price. It certainly is not being controlled by the company whose stock is being traded. They can influence speculators with their reports of increased sales and profits, but they cannot directly control the bidding in a stock market auction. Reading from Chapter 5, Real Estate. You need to live somewhere. 
So why not live inside what you may be your largest single investment? If you live in a large, rapidly growing community, your house or condominium could double its value in five years. The house I live in is now worth 10 times more than what I paid for it 40 years ago. As you approach old age where living in a standalone dwelling becomes impractical, you can sell that asset and move to a condominium. You can invest any remaining balance after the sale and purchase to generating income. For Canadians, this is a real benefit because the capital gain you realize on the selling of your primary residence is tax-free. Not all communities experience increases in real estate prices. Deciding to purchase a home requires careful analysis. The average home conservatively increases in value about 3% a year. Since you should be able to realize at least 6% from investing in stocks, it may make more sense in some communities to rent and invest the money that would have gone to paying a mortgage, insurance, heating, taxes, maintenance, and so on. This requires the self-discipline of making sure the saved money gets invested. Another real estate option is to buy an income property, or perhaps you may live in one of the apartments. Finding a well-maintained, affordable, multi-unit property in a desirable area is difficult. The unit you buy may require significant renovations to bring it up to government standards for rental accommodations. This can be expensive unless you are prepared to do much of the renovations and maintenance yourself. Costs for fire alarm installations, inspections, lawn mowing, snow cleaning, hand railings, intercoms, painting, garbage pickup, laundry equipment, insurance, heating, cooling, security, storage, parking, bathroom, and kitchen renovations can be overwhelming. When your units are ready to rent, you face the advertising expenses and demands on your time to show the apartment to prospective renters. When you do find someone who wants the apartment, it isn't just a matter of signing a lease and getting the first and last month's rent. You must now spend time and money to verify the tenant will keep on paying their rent. It will not destroy the apartment. Why are they leaving their current rental unit? Are you acquiring another landlord's problem tenant? Upon renting the apartment, you need to budget for plumbing and electrical emergencies, setting aside funds to replace appliances and bathroom fixtures. Tenants can encounter problems that prevent them from paying their rent. Now you face the expense of evicting them or accepting that you have a problem tenant and the easy income you expected has evaporated. Removing a tenant can take months, even years, and can cost thousands of dollars in legal fees. If you have a separate residence and think you would also like to own a small apartment building, you will find that since the second building is not your primary residence, when you sell the apartment building, the capital gain is taxed as a regular salary income. 
If all your money were invested in a rental property and you needed cash quickly, you can't sell part of a rental building that you can sell part of a stock portfolio. Selling your real estate at the right price can take months. The sale involves paying real estate agents, commissions, legal fees, transfer fees, and so on. The only other option to get cash out of a building is to mortgage it or to increase an existing mortgage. And this cannot be done quickly. If you keep ahead of inflation, you will also have to plan on presenting your tenants with a price increase each year. Every time you do this, you risk that they will now seek less expensive accommodation and put you back into the expense of renting a vacant apartment. While the expectations had been that the rent you charge would cover your expenses, there is a risk that your income property could prove to be an unreliable source of income and a money pit. If you want to own property by shares in REITs, real estate investment trusts, for both a reliable income and a capital gain. Avoid the irate calls in the middle of the night from tenants complaining about air conditioning or a toilet not working. Next topic, hedge funds. Hedge funds are like mutual funds, but with one big difference. They are marketed to those who think they are rich and want to become even richer. It is sad that greed makes even rich people stupid. To invest in a hedge fund, you'd be expected to have an annual income of at least $200,000 and be able to come up with $1 million to invest. I am told the dealer who puts you into the hedge fund immediately gets 2% of what you invest and will take 20% of any future gain. Thus, you are immediately handling over $20,000 to a dealer with no guarantees as to what you will receive in return. Hedge funds are unregulated, and it is understood that few make money. Those managing the hedge fund speculate on share price gains and share price declines at the same time. Occasionally, they are spectacular winners. These infrequent wins suck in the rich speculators who, like lottery ticket buyers, think that the next big win is just around the corner for them. If you ever think you would like to invest in a hedge fund, think of Bernie Madoff. His hedge fund stole billions of dollars from many high-profile rich people. He paid very large dividends to investors by taking money from the deposits of new investors and used it to pay dividends to the old investors. This Ponzi scheme worked until some of the old investors wanted all their money back. Unfortunately, Bernie will die in prison long before he finishes his 150-year sentence. His son committed suicide over the shame of his father's dishonesty and greed. Next topic, collectibles, coins, stamps, and art. Paintings, coins, and postage stamps are just a few of the items in which collectors speculate. I have sold collectibles. It is not an easy way to generate income. In selling paintings, the first thing I learned is that professional art collectors do not appreciate the aesthetic merits of a painting. 
These collectors fixate on buying the artist's signature on the painting. Like any investment, supply and demand set the price. Famous dead artist paintings go up in price because there is now a limited supply of these paintings. Paintings I considered ugly, and I would not give you $2 for. I've sold the collectors for $15,000 only because the collector had been searching for a painting by this long-dead artist for several years. He considered the $15,000 price to be a bargain, and he was right. While the painting was on its way to him in Calgary, I had a call from another collector. He was disappointed to learn the painting was sold. He requested that I ask that buyer to sell him the painting for $20,000. Finding that first buyer had taken me a week. Interestingly, the buyer was not interested in the $20,000 offer. Selling your paintings directly to the buyer is unusual. It requires advertising and contacting galleries, museums, and others who may know someone who has an interest in the artist. This takes time. Usually, you want to find a gallery that will take the painting on consignment. They will hopefully find a buyer. Galleries are very picky as to what they will put on their walls. Their walls are a limited marketing resource. Their commission for selling a painting could be half of the selling. Some galleries have terrible reputations for selling your consigned paintings and then forgetting to inform you of the sale. Only by visiting the gallery can you confirm your painting is still in the gallery's possession. If the gallery is in another province where the artist's paintings are in demand, such visits can be impractical. When you do learn about the secret sale, you face trying to collect your money from a gallery which is often short of funds and has already shown that they will cheat you. Sometimes, while the artist's paintings may be in demand, the subject of the painting may not conform to the traditional images for which the artist has become famous. Despite his signature on the bottom, it just doesn't look like one of his paintings. The purpose of buying the painting is often to impress those who recognize the artist. You may spend years trying to find a buyer for such an unusual painting. Occasionally, gallery owners would immediately buy a painting from me. They knew clients that they were certain would want a painting by that artist. Their selling price was going to be far more than what I was asking for the painting. They were taking advantage of me for what they saw as an opportunity for a quick profit. Such is the capitalist way. While you may find a buyer on your own, the buyer could be thousands of miles away. Getting an expensive painting to them can be difficult. It's surprising me to learn a special climate-controlled truck operated by Ferro Transport travels from Montreal to Vancouver, delivering paintings every week to galleries and collectors. I've used this service. One day, a huge tractor-trailer showed up. It was so large it could not come down my street. I carried the painting to the truck and placed it in special racks. The paintings had to be bubble-wrapped for the trip. There's also an element of speculation in selling paintings. People's tastes change. Something bought 20 or more years ago may be of little interest to current art collectors. If you enjoy beautiful art instead of 
speculating on art, I would suggest going to a website like fineartamerica.com and choosing something you find beautiful from the millions of paintings and prints that are on display. For a few hundred dollars, you can enjoy it for the rest of your life. If upon delivery it disappoints you, you can send it back. They will refund your money. Online art galleries have killed off many of the traditional brick-and-mortar art galleries. Next topic, coins and stamps. Many websites, trade shows, and retailers exist which trade rare coins and stamps. These online websites and catalogs give you an almost instant estimation of what your coin or stamp is worth. This prepares you for haggling on price with a prospective buyer you may have connected with through these websites. One needs to have special love of coins or stamps because buying and selling them requires significant time and effort. Few coins sell for over $1,000. Even a Roman coin a thousand years old may only be worth a few hundred dollars. Being small, coins and stamps are easier and less expensive to ship than paintings. If you can't find a buyer for your old silver coins, some dealers will buy them and melt them down for their silver content. The price of silver rises in tandem with gold prices. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website, www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com. Dot com.